0: So I recognize in my welcome I made a joke about, uh, about the Super Bowl, but of course you are also welcome here if you could care less <laughs> what happens this afternoon. Earlier this week, about 20 folks from this congregation gathered with our membership associate, Judy Hart, over two nights to read a play and then to talk about it. The play was Lewis Nath's The Christians. It's a play about a pastor and a congregation and a sudden change in theology. The pastor of an evangelical megachurch announces on a Sunday morning that hell does not appear in the Bible and that this would no longer be a church that preaches about hell. The rest of the play is a series of dialogues exploring the fallout of this discussion. In one of the exchanges, a Carrigan asks the pastor, have you always believed this? I've never heard you speak about hell. The pastor replies that it's not generally a topic that he preaches on. During the conversation after a question came up, Oscar, are there topics you avoid? <laughs> I replied that uh, just about all of us have topics. We don't go as often for reasons, both personal and professional. So of course this morning I'm preaching on Hebrews 11, St. Paul's definition of faith. George Carlin had a list of words that you can't say on television, right? (laughs) And if somewhere there's a list of words that you tread with care, preaching from UU pulpits, faith is somewhere above God and prayer and somewhere below washed with the blood. (laughs) And I, well... It'll be a sermon series over the next couple years. (laughs) But here's what Paul of Tarsus, or somebody pretending to be Paul of Tarsus, said two millennia ago. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Now, if we were in southeastern Michigan right now, we could end the sermon here because it is Super Bowl Sunday. And I am a born Detroit Lions fan. And Lions fans know intimately that faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. (laughs) And the substance of things hoped for. We also know the Book of Lamentations pretty well in Michigan. But since we're in Nebraska, we'll unpack this idea of faith a little bit. So Nath, the the author of the play we discussed on Monday, ended up as a playwright after stints both in seminary and medical school. And in the preface to the play, he writes this about language. In seminary, you learn a lot about translation, You learn how there can be more than one way to translate a word. You come to realize just how many words in the Bible could be translated this way or that way. A friend of mine from high school who ended up becoming a pastor recently said to me that pastors have to be very careful not to remake the gospel in their own image. (laughs) But my question was, isn't that unavoidable? For a few years, Nath writes, I taught expository writing at NYU. I'd have students read challenging text by Berger or Sontag, and I'd ask them to simply read and understand what these writers were saying. Often the students would project themselves into the meaning of the essays we were studying. That expository writing class became, in large part, about the task of encouraging students to be okay with not immediately understanding the texts. In the rush to understand, we get in the way of our ability to see something as it is. So Neth presents essentially two ways of looking at literature and by extension scripture. The first is the observation that it is almost impossible not to remake what we are reading into our own image. The second is that it's okay with not immediately understanding to live in the ambiguity that is the hallmark of both literature and scripture. So we're going to take those one at a time, starting with ambiguity. There's a lot that we don't understand in the world. The religious humanism that I identify with is the one that Dick Gilbert defined as agnosticism, but with footnotes. (laughs) That is a humanism with a healthy sense of the sheer number and intensity of questions that we do not have sure answers to. And even if we do have answers to questions of religion and faith, they are often not in, spoken or written language. The novelist Patrick O'Brien puts it this way. A foolish German once said that man thought in words. It was totally false, a pernicious doctrine. The thought flashes into being in a hundred simultaneous forms with a thousand associations and the speaking mind selected one forming it grossly into the inadequate language of words admitted to be inadequate for vast regions of expression. Since for them there were the parallel languages of music and painting. Words are certainly not called for in many or indeed most forms of thought. Mozart certainly thought in terms of music. Stephen himself at this moment was thinking in terms of scent. This is the language of faith for many of us. Talking about faith, trying to fit words to this thing feels imperfect and ambiguous. It feels like faith has more in common with music and art than it does rhetoric and logic. As an example, let's just take the first principle of Unitarian Universalism, what to me is a faith statement that each person has inherent worth and dignity. Now, if we wanted to, we can derive this thing using the logic and rhetoric familiar to German philosophy. So posited, I have an internal monologue. I am conscious of being a person and I wish to continue in this state. Certain conditions diminish my sense of wholeness and self. I can communicate my internal monologue externally. And I hear others communicating using words that they too have an internal monologue and are conscious. I can thus infer that as I intrinsically value my own life, so do you. Thus, I should avoid creating conditions for you that were I in your place would be hurtful to me. I must treat you with dignity as a sentient being or I can listen to a song of lament in a language that I do not know and recognize grief empathy doesn't need words and our first principle is just empathy writ large. So we can recognize that faith is like this. We can talk about it, but ultimately language is just a way of nibbling around the edges of experience, experience beyond spoken word. If faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it is perhaps because it is the music of the soul rather than evidence we can count up and quantify. Paul writes in another letter, though, of for now seeing but through a glass darkly. Nath, the the playwright sees literature as having an objective message. His students shouldn't immediately understand the message but there is a message, he says. I'd ask them simply to read and understand what these writers are saying. Maybe we only see a bare, dim outline of faith through the glass. But as Nath reminds us, biblical translation is important and through a glass darkly can just as easily be translated as dimly in a mirror. Nath sees it as unavoidable that pastors and really all of us see ourselves reflected in scripture and literature rather than seeing some central objective truth that the writer intended apparent in the text. We see the text through the lenses that we bring to it. Our experiences, our beliefs, what we had for breakfast that morning, all of these affect how we come at something like Hebrews 11 1. Is that so bad though? Language is subjective. That is its nature. When I stand in the receiving line out there, often I think I've given a pretty good sermon on topic A. And about every other week, somebody comes through and says, thank you so much for talking this morning about topic B. (laughs) It's exactly what I needed to hear today. So who is to say that the sermon that they heard is less valid than the sermon that I thought I was giving? Communication is as much about the communicatee as the commun cum- <laughs> <laughs> Language is hard and ambiguous. <laughs> so if it is unavoidable that we remake scripture in our own image, we should do so with relish. And because we are Unitarian Universalists, we do most of our remaking with love. May I remember in this tender moment that love is my guide. I have what I need with love at my side, above me, below me, in front of me, behind me. Our reading this morning was an example of just that. Kevin Tarsa rewrote the 23rd Psalm last year on the occasion of Jim Key's funeral. Jim was the moderator of the Unitarian Universalist Association. He was essentially the chairperson of the board of trustees of the denomination that we are a part of. And it seemed right at his memorial service at General Assembly that words that had been comforting to many of us would have a new life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, goes the 23rd Psalm. But what matters is less the intention of the anonymous psalmist 2,000 years, 3,000 years ago, but the comfort that many of us experience in the message in that psalm. So the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Paul is writing describing faith. But elsewhere, scripture speaks of faith, hope, and love as intertwined virtues. So if faith is a difficult word for you, try this. Now, love is the substance of things hoped for. Love is the evidence of things not seen. Love is the substance of things hoped for. I recognize this every time I walk into Alisha's room at night to check on her. Our children are the very literal embodiment. The substance of what we hope for. and Love is the evidence of things not seen. One of the holiest and I I mean that word. One of the holiest parts of my job. Is to be with families at the end of a life. And when someone is dying, there are lots of long silences. And as I'm, as I sit there often, you can see love in the room. I can't tell you what color love is, what shape it is. But sometimes you see it in the, the grasp of a hand or hear it in the stories that people tell it's often almost invisible maybe a glance at the set of somebody's shoulders but it's there laugh lines around somebody's mouth that are 50 years of shared jokes the tiny things that make up the evidence of a lifetime of love can we agree to that Love as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what is faith beyond love? Faith is simply love joined with hope. Faith is hope that what we love the results of that love will endure. I love people. The first principle speaks about inherent worth and dignity but to me at its most basic it is this we are called to love each other. And I have hope that we as people and as a people occasionally do the right thing. And in the end, those two things together, that's faith for me. I have faith that there are good people in the world doing good in the world. And I have faith that there is enough love in the world to bend the moral arc of the universe towards justice just a little bit. (coughs) Evidence of things not seen. Seventy-six years ago this morning, the transport ship Dorchester was carrying over 900 men and civilians off the Newfoundland coast. You may know this story. It was struck by a torpedo fired by a German U-boat. There were four chaplains on board. George Fox was a Methodist. Alexander Good was a Jewish chaplain. John Washington, Roman Catholic. Clark Poling, Dutch Reformed. As the boat sank quickly, the four gathered on deck, working from sailor to sailor, helping folks to board life rafts. One sailor, John Mahoney, would later write that disoriented and cold, he tried to go back to his cabin to get his gloves for the cold North Atlantic. And Rabbi Good stopped him and said, here, I have two pairs of gloves. Take these. It was only later that he realized that nobody carries two pairs of gloves on a ship in the North Atlantic. And when the life preservers ran out, the four chaplains each took their life jackets and handed them to sailors without. And the citation that was written later, they said that none of the chaplains asked who of you is Roman Catholic, you get the Roman Catholic life preserver. It was whoever the four people in front of them were. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Chaplains are by definition non combatants, and they were under no obligation to behave as they did. But they were people of faith. People with love for those around them and hope for the good that could be done in the world. For each of them, faith was the burning coal at the center of their lives, and their actions are evidence of unseen faith. George Fox, Alexander Good, John Washington, and Clark Poling were nominated for the Congressional Medal of Honor, but were deemed not eligible for the highest military decoration in the country. The Medal of Honor, as it was written then by statute, can only be awarded for combat with the enemy, and chaplains by definition are non-combatants. Congress instead created a new medal for heroism and awarded each of them posthumously in the hopes that they would be an example of selflessness. (coughs) Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is hard to talk about. We don't talk about it much explicitly. It's a deeply personal thing. It's often deeply felt, but all the harder to put into words because of it. We can more easily see it dimly reflected in a piece of music and the love that we have for our families than when we try and look at it directly and put words to it. But my hope for us is that we can speak to each other as Parker Palmer puts us put it it, about our own souls and their condition. Love defines our lives and our relationship. Hope drives us and calls us to action and faith carries it through all often unseen but nevertheless there. May it be so, and amen.